Hello and welcome to episode 161 of the Batflip Crazy podcast, where you'll always find enthusiastic, data-driven fantasy baseball analysis and strategy. I am your host, Toby. Today is edition number 65 of Bubba and the Batflip. Bubba and I are going to tackle part two um, of our starting pitching preview. A lot of fun. We go uh, pitchers ADPs 30 through 60. So it takes you to about ADP 200 or so, a little bit after that. And then we tackle a host of uh, listener questions. We have about 15 listener questions that we um, that we address throughout the podcast. So a lot of fun. As usual, uh, the best part of the podcast is the listener questions because you guys are awesome. So thank you for my, uh, so much for doing that. Um, as always, if you do like the podcast, please do leave a five-star rating and review on iTunes. Always appreciate it when folks do that. Helps the podcast reach more people. So um, thank you. Uh, yeah, thank you for that. Uh, you can reach me on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy. Bubba can be reached on Twitter at BDNTrek. Let's get this party started. And welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Bubba and the Bat Flip, episode 65, our 2021 starting pitching preview part two. And it is our first episode together for 2021. You can check me out on Twitter at BDNTrick and my co-host, as always, on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy. Happy New Year, my friend. Happy New Year, Bubba. Um, it's nice nice to be with you again in the new year, our first show of the new year. Um, I can tell you one thing. It's going to be the best show of the yeah. year so far, uh, no doubt. But, um, yeah, excited to dive into the starting pitcher, pitcher two. I feel like this is one of the pods that I'm most excited about, partially because of the phenomenal questions we got from listeners, but also just, you know, when you get kind of outside, like, no, you know, everybody knows the aces are the aces, but um, getting deeper in and finding some guys of interest, maybe some guys who can take it to the next level with the, when the right, if the right things happen, I think is always really interesting. So really excited to dive in here with you. Yeah, no, we're going to, it's fun because we can kind of decipher who to target, who not to target. Um, Just kind of don't waste your time with certain guys. We could be wrong, but I think we'll narrow it down pretty good. And on the flip side of it, uh, a ton of listener questions, like you said, which is awesome. That'll that'll incorporate a lot of the uh, the player analysis that we're looking to uh, to look at uh, tonight. So we did ADP one through thirty, and I, I usually try to keep the ADP within like two to three weeks, but I want to keep it consistent with last week. So we we're still on December first, so little over a month of the ADP for draft champions on NFBC, but. It, it'll work in the grand scheme of things because a lot of this will change come February, March, like we talk about quite often. But uh, we'll just start off with it because, like I said, lots of listener questions. 31 through 35 now. You got Dylan Bundy at pick 95. Um, Jesus Lazardo at 101. Paddock at 110. Julio Urias at 110 or 111. And then Zach Greinke at 114. So uh, anybody of interest to you here in this range? Yeah, there are. there's a couple. There's maybe one or one, two, or three guys that interest me. I think the guy that I like the most in this group is, is Dylan Bundy. Obviously he made a really nice move. I think a lot of us were anticipating that with the change in scenery, with maybe some increased usage of his other pitches that he could really have the type of breakout that he had last year. And so, um, you know, I, I really liked what he did last year. And I also think that there's a little bit, um, in there, you know, there's the, a pretty low strand rate that he had, um, which I think, you know, could um, could pretend some some positive developments. I actually think that you know even though he had he got hit hard in a couple starts there down the stretch. I think overall 
the numbers were were really nice. And all the underlying metrics, I mean, K-minus walk rate, 20.6%, swinging strike rate close to 13%, um, you know, getting chases on pitches outside the zone. He was better in the zone last year too. He was able to dominate like he hasn't uh, before with the 82.5% uh, in-zone contact rate. So really like Bundy a lot. I think, you know, the context is obviously decent for him in Anaheim. Uh, much better than than with the Orioles. And so I actually, he's a guy that I've been targeting. If he drops a little bit in the ADP, like closer to the, you know, 105 range, um, I definitely have some interest in him as an SP3 if I pick up my two starting pitchers earlier than that. So like Dylan Bundy a lot, um, Jesus Lazardo is really interesting. I mean, the projections really like him. They see him as a value where he's going right now. My one concern with him is, you know, he, the pitch that he goes to the most is the sinker. And it doesn't get the swings and misses necessarily that um, his other pitches do. Um, it's not necessarily a bad pitch. Um, it's just I'm, I'm not sure if we can expect the same strikeout rate. But again, he's a younger guy. You know, he's adjusting the league. He's with the A's, which is ideal. You know, uh, elite ballpark to be in for a pitcher. Great defense behind him. So he's definitely somebody who's piquing my interest, I think, a little bit more than he was earlier on in the season because I really do think – you know, maybe he's that SP3 where you feel pretty comfortable, especially with the A's talking about him pitching, you know, a lot of innings this year. Um, maybe you feel a little bit more comfortable with him because the floor seems pretty high, you know, and maybe he can he can reach that ceiling with a pitch mix change or maybe a little bit of an increase in velo. Paddock, not really interesting me. You know, he's still that two-pitch guy. I know you kind of profiled his curveball a little bit in the CSW on it is much better than the swinging strike rate, um, but I'm, not, I'm just not sure. And then with with the way that his fastball kind of fell back to earth last year, there were some changes there, you know, in terms of spin rate, in terms of vertical, the rise that it has, uh, vertical movement, and it just was not a good pitch. It got hammered, but I think we saw that a little bit in the second half last year as well. Um, and so I think maybe we saw kind of Paddock just, you know, the, some, some of that natural regression on the BABIP and, and other metrics in the second half and leading into this year. And maybe he's just not the guy that, we necessarily thought he was. Um, Urias is definitely interesting, but again, I think he's pretty similar to Lazardo in the sense that the skills don't necessarily hop off the page because, you know, I, I is it a sinker that he relies on heavily? I should, I should know this off the top of my head, but um, I feel like the swinging strike rate and some of the skills weren't necessarily there, even though he pitched out of the bullpen last year, which is a little bit of, of a concern, um, uh, you, you know, for me. Um, don't go to... Uh, Luis Urias's page. His um, uh, four, four seams, his main one sinkers 0.5 percent according okay. to Savant. According to Savant. Yeah, and the, and 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 again, I'm going off of my memory here, but um, I think that that four seam was not was it not that dominant of a pitch for him? Um, no, it's not. Yeah. So yeah. So the, the well, last year rated, was, actually last year it wasn't bad. A, a two eleven x batting average, three twenty five slug. It got hit a little bit, but overall it wasn't bad. His changeup's horrible. Yeah. Yeah. What I, what I, the metrics that I generally will look at is like uh, the swinging strike rate on it. So the four seems actually not that bad, but it doesn't necessarily have that dominant pitch. You know, changeup 16.4%, swinging strike rate 46.1%, you know, in the zone, but that strikeout rate was pretty low. Um, strikeout rate was pretty low you know, some regression in his metrics actually. And obviously like he could, he could definitely rectify that over the longer term season, but I don't know if you're going to get the same volume that you might get in some other guys. And if you don't, 
if you're not as confident that there's going to be that ceiling with the strikeout rate, then I think there are other guys who maybe I feel a little bit more confident in the volume um, that they're going to get uh, based on kind of the, the situation that they're in team-wise. Um, and then with Zach Greinke, I really like Zach Greinke a lot. I think with the right team build, if you get strikeouts um, you know, earlier on. So for instance, I, I just did a draft uh, DC and then my first two picks were Darvish and Giolito. So I felt pretty good about where I was starting with strikeouts. And Zach Greinke was my, my SP3. He's dropped precipitously in the rankings. But when you look at what he did last year, I mean, it's on par with what he's done in previous seasons. The swinging strike rate, strike rate was actually even to what it was but um, in previous seasons. His K-minus walk rate was the highest since 2017. Uh, walk rate super low as usual. Strikeout rate was higher than the previous two seasons. He just had that 321 Babbitt. And when you break it down, I think he had like a 420 Babbitt against in his last five starts or something like that. And those are just things that over a longer season are going to regress back to the mean. And, and so I don't see a reason why Granke can't be just as successful as he has been in seasons past. So I think as I get closer to draft season, he may actually become a little bit more of a priority for me. So some interesting names in there for sure. A couple of targets that I really like, um, but an interesting group for sure. Yeah, I love Bundy. You, you nailed a lot of it. When you look at his his pitch mix, like his slider that he keeps upping the rates of the, the change up in the slider you mentioned a lot more than the four seamer like he was doing in Baltimore. And that slider is just filthy. When you look at the advanced metrics on it, you know, 49% K rate, even the deserved K is still 46%, which is pretty darn outstanding. Um, doesn't walk a ton of guys overall. So there's a ton to like with Bundy. I loved him last year. I believe you did as well. So uh, no reason not to like him this year. The price obviously has come up on Dylan Bundy, but uh, the return can still be very, very nice there in Anaheim, as you mentioned. So I have no problem with Dylan Bundy in that one. If like any, if you really go game logging, I remember because of DFS, it was like one, maybe two starts that were kind of sketchy, but overall he was just legit really, really good. So I'm a big Bundy fan as well. Lazardo's crazy to me because the stuff is really good when he utilizes it properly. We've seen a couple starts of his where he turned into home run derby, and that was the sinker that you were talking about that, that got him into trouble. When he's on, though, he's very, very good. The problem is these projections have about 175 innings, and the dude just – he hasn't thrown innings. Like, since his injury, um, you know, back in 16, I believe, or when they baby-stepped him in 17, that's what it was, really slow-played him there. And then 18, he threw about, um, give or take, 110 pitches. But then back in 19, he only threw 12, 43, a total of 55 pitches or innings. Last year, 59 innings. How do you jump to 175 with a, an arm, your golden boy's arm? That's going to be pretty risky to me. So I think Lazardo is one of those guys. It'll be kind of like last year's conversation when we do kind of an update on our thoughts on the positions. If for some reason we get a late start, which honestly probably going to happen just because the owners are the owners. But if we get a late start, it benefits Lazardo so much more. Where right now it's kind of tough to take him at his draft price, knowing 175, everything has to work perfect to get those kind of innings. I'd be shocked if it's more, I, I wouldn't be shocked if it's more like 130 ish, 140, give or take. Because um, I don't think they want to ruin his arm, obviously. So that, 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 that's the problem with Lazardo. Paddock, I want nothing to do with. I've never wanted anything to do with Paddock. Um, he's finally falling in rankings, which is good to see. But uh, yeah, I, I tweeted out the stuff about his curveball. He throws it 7% of the time. And when it's effective, it's one of the best curveballs in baseball. But if he's not locating it well, it gets hit harder than by any curveball in baseball. So it's a pitch that has a lot of work still to do. But I believe it was – I can't remember who it was. I want to say Jenny Butler, but it could have been someone else. I was, we were tweeting back and forth about it. And I think the move of having like Snell and Darvish come over 
could really help pitchers like Paddock on that team and Lamette develop extra pitches. So that's something that maybe not this year, but maybe a year or two from now, all of a sudden they have one or two extra pitches that they can use maybe 10 to 15% of the time, not, not have to use it a ton, but enough to offset their other pitches. So this year, no, but down the road could be something there with Paddock. Uh, Urias, I love. I just don't know how they're going to utilize him effectively. Are they going to baby him? That's a problem. I think he's very – I'd rather have Urias than Dustin May. So that's where I stand on that one. And then uh, Zach Ranke, I just – I can't do it because I'm worried that the injury is going to start piling up with him. The age is catching up with him. He looked horrible towards the end of last year, like really, really bad. So I'll pass on him, and there's some guys in the next range I'll take in a heartbeat. So pretty much Bundy's the only one I want in this group uh, that I trust what I can see projection-wise and – what I saw last year coming into this year. So Bundy's about it for me in this range. All right. 36 to 40. We have wonderful Pablo Lopez. We have Kevin Gossman, Charlie Morton, Lance McCullers, and Joe Musgrove. Now this is a range. This is like why I can pass on Granky and company. Cause this is a range like a lot, lot more. What do you like in this one? Yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of interesting. I, um, I think I have like one share of all of these guys in all of my teams so far. I've got like six DCs. Um, and it's not because I don't like the pitchers. I mean, I think Pablo Lopez, there's a lot of, I mean, everything looks good. I don't see any real flaws in what he was able to do. Um, the skills are really nice. Um, everything, you know, everything looks really nice. I mean, I can't really find a hole in Pablo Lopez's game. I mean, maybe, maybe, and again, I think a lot of this is where maybe our biases and our subjectivity comes into play is it's like, with some guys with this small sample size being the only time they've been good, we may feel a little bit more comfortable diving in on them, you know, and other guys not. And, and you got to figure out what, what is, what is just you and your brain telling you not to go there versus other things, but no problem with Pablo Lopez. Um, but he hasn't been a target for me. Gaussman, I liked him a lot more when he was going like, I don't know, like 80 picks uh, <laughs> uh, later in drafts. I think I had one share of him. I like what Gaussman did a lot. You know, he added the velocity last year, which I always look for in pitchers. He's got that splitter that was great. And then the changeup, I think, was um, – is it a changeup or a slider was 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 decent enough. And the fastball was really, really nice. And, again, re-upping with the Giants, I think, was really – is really beneficial because I think that's, that's a really nice park for him. So I think um, Gaussman I, – I don't really have a problem with Gaussman. Again, in, inconsistency has troubled him throughout. But if he can cre- keep that velocity increase – um, and continue to do what he did last year. I, I don't think it's a bad pick either. And I think the thing with a lot of these guys is the upside in terms of strikeouts is pretty high. Um, all of these guys strike out a, a decent amount of amount of amount of guys. Morton is somebody that that is kind of falls into the category for me of guys that I want to see them in spring training. I think if he's back to the below that we've seen in previous seasons when he's like 94, 95 instead of kind of 92, 93, um, I'm a lot more interested. You know, I think we saw him in the playoffs. Um, have some pretty solid outings with that increased velocity. So if he brings that back, that's good. But again, you know, with a guy that old who had that type, those types of injuries, you know, just the past season, it, it makes me a little bit of weary of, of diving in, especially like you mentioned, when there's a variety of different, you know, really solid guys, I think, coming up that we're going to cover. Uh, um, McCullers has always been a guy because of the inconsistency that I've kind of shied away from. But I think that may be a situation where my bias is kind of blinding me a little bit just based on previous seasons. He did look um, uh, pretty good this past year. Uh, and, and I think when I look at some of the metrics, I'm actually a little bit surprised. The whip is a little bit of a concern, but you know, the last two full seasons or 
foolish seasons. You know, he's had that under control. Um, the strikeouts have been there. And I think we talked in a previous podcast, you're, you're a pretty big fan, um, just about how a little bit of a pitch mix change for him moving away from that sinker, maybe throwing the curve a little bit more like he used to could, could be a boon for him. And he's in a good situation with the Astros. So I, I, I don't have any, I haven't gotten him at all, but I, I do. I don't mind him. Joey Musgrove, love Joey Musgrove. Don't love the price. I know he was absolutely elite down the stretch, and I know the Pirates are changing things up. He's got the great curve. He's got the great slider. He's just got to have that fastball velocity up, and he's got to keep maintain that pitch mix change, and he can be very, very good. I worry a little bit on that bad of a team, you know, what the win situation is going to be for him. And again, injuries, like the consistency we just have not seen with Musgrove yet. I've been on board for a couple of years, but at the price that he's going right now, I'm just not sure I can dive in. You know, two years ago in 2019, it was, I think he had like that, that ab, some sort of like core injury and he never really got going. And then last year he had whatever the injury was that kept him on the IL. So it's hard to dive in at that price because I think you're expecting him to replicate some skills that, that I don't know whether they're replicable for him. That's a word. So I don't know, really interesting guys, but I just don't know. I'm I'm just not as into it, but it sounds like you are. So, yeah, Pablo Lopez is a guy that um, in 2019 the overall numbers look bad, but he was a literal. You look at his splits, home roads was like to a line, sub four ERA at home on the road just got destroyed left and right. That was his his mo. You just knew it going into it, and you kind of streamed him that way. In 2020, he took the step though. Uh, after the whole Marlins COVID deal, he he was much better, more consistent, still better at home than on the road. But the road starts got much much better. And like you mentioned, he's he's good for some strikeouts, unlike Sixto Sanchez, uh, one of his teammates, who we'll talk about in the next wave. Um, I, I do like Pablo quite a bit. Uh, the problem is, is a lot of people are starting to like Pablo quite a bit. So his price is going up, which makes it interesting because pretty much all the pitchers we're going to talk about today, there's a handful I just want nothing to do with, but there's arguments to be made for a lot of them, depending on what you need or what your team construct's going to be. Like you mentioned, you like Granky because if you have strikeouts and he helps you in this position, um, you know, there's other guys you might like because they might get you more strikeouts, but you could afford a little more of the ratio issues. Pablo kind of does a little bit of everything. He's good with strikeouts, doesn't have horrible ratios. He's not like a, a Hendricks type, but I think he keeps getting better, and he's still super young. So I, I do like Pablo Lopez quite a bit. Gossman's a guy I mentioned on my last podcast with uh, Rob DiPietro that I will not be drafting at this draft price. I, I just I can't do it. He's awesome. Uh, maybe it's just the – Giants fan of me just waiting for the collapse, but he throws his fastball a ton. The v- up velo is great. He throws a splitter a ton, and the splitter is one of those pitches you can lose faster than anything. So that terrifies me quite a bit. Um, the Giants could also trade him in a heartbeat. That that that's an option come midseason because Farhan is wheeling and dealing a machine. But Gossman's that guy that I think is very very good. He's just like not top one ten one twenty type good to me right now, and that's the problem with where I'm seeing him get drafted. I think he's going to keep going up because everyone's in love with them. I saw Matt Modica tweeting out about draft champions. I I want to say he went inside the top 100 or like 102 or something in the last one. There's no way I'm doing that. I just – I can't do it. That's like Dylan Bundy's going right there. I'll take Dylan Bundy all day long. Um, so that's just uh, a pick I can't do with Gossman. It's, it's more of a price thing than a talent thing. I think the talent's really good, just not at that price point. I think there's a lot more – the floor is a lot lower with Gossman compared to some of these other guys. Like Pablo Lopez's floor is much higher than, than Kevin Gossman's. 
and then you can play the ceiling game from there. So that that's where I'm at on that. Charlie Morton, it's an age, an injury thing. I get it. If if he looks good, like Toby said, I I, I can back it. He's going to get you a lot of strikeouts. The ratio is usually pretty good. Just a matter of can the arm go another year? It's a big question, and it, it's a risky situation. I love Lance McCullers. It's kind of ironic because I talk about the risky situation in Morton. McCullers, it's more he's a lot younger for one. And um, I love what I saw last year. I know Dusty Wagner, when we talked about him a, a pot a while back, Wagner was in the chat and we were talking about it. Hmm. And McCullers got better and better as the year went on. Seven or more Ks in all but two starts since uh, uh, from August 16 on. So two, fours, seven starts. So seven or more Ks in five of his last seven starts. The postseason, he was absolutely dominant. Um, ratios were great. Always has big strikeout stuff. And they kept up in his pitch counts as the uh, season went on. So they kind of slow played him. And then really got him cooking towards the end, and he flips that curveball so so much. It, it's it's really uh, something special to watch. Look at the pitch mix. He uses it almost thirty eight percent of the time, and his sinker like forty percent of the time. It's almost his go to pitch, and it is it's filthy. It, it's worth everything you expect it to be and more. So I absolutely love the curveball. Um, it's it, it's definitely something to uh, to monitor with him. And then Musgrove, I'm with you. I just can't pay that price for Musgrove. You're hoping for what he did the last few weeks to work a whole season. And then you and I both know, and you should especially know as the Musgrove guy, that's asking a lot. So um, I'm going to pass on that one as well. And Comac do weigh in in the comments. Repeatable, not replicable. Repeatable. There we go. That's why, that's why we have uh, Cody in the, in, in the chat over here to keep us on our, our uh, on our grammar. Uh, uh, I don't know, grammar, the right direction in our grammar or something. There we go. Um, 41 through 45, got Sixto Sanchez, Sandy Alcantara, two Marlins right out the gate. Uh, Patrick Corbin, Frankie Montas, we have a lot of questions on tonight, and Tyler Molle. So it's this is a range that I might be avoiding for the most part, but uh, what's your thoughts here? Uh, so Sixto, I'm just totally out on him. Um, it's not that I think he's going to be a bad pitcher. Uh, I think he's going to be a good pitcher, but I just don't know from a fantasy perspective whether he will – you know, the, um, the strikeouts just have never really been there throughout his career. I don't anticipate that that's something that's going to happen now. You know, um, it's just, you know, he's got that. I think it's the, the great changeup that he has. It looks great, but the outcomes on it, you know, from like a strikeout perspective are not necessarily that great. But he doesn't walk a ton of guys and he doesn't give up a ton of hard contact. So I think he's fine. But again, with such a small sample size, we kind of, you know, is he going to be good at at limiting major league contact. I don't necessarily like to rely on that until I have a larger sample of, of folks having been able to do that, maybe a couple seasons, um, just to make sure that it's a consistent skill that they can demonstrate because there is very few guys. You know, you think of Kyle Hendricks, maybe. I think kind of Ryan Yarborough falls into that, Dallas Keuchel. You know, there's very few guys that can kind of pull that that type of profile off um, in the big leagues. But 6-0 could, but I just think you know, you're paying way too much um, for him in that spot when I don't think the ceiling is, is very high. Um, Sandy Alcantara, I like him a lot. Um, you know, I, I'm not necessarily drafting him because I think in my in my draft strategy, you know, I'm, I'm oftentimes avoiding pitchers here because I think the thing about the, this group of guys, generally speaking, is I think there's going to be these guys. These are like the 50-50 guys where half of these guys are going to be good. Half of them are going to be bad. Maybe one or two of them are going to be elite and one of two of them are going to be awful. And we don't really know who, who that's going to be. Right. I mean, there's not anything that really distinguishes these guys that much from one another. 
Um, but with Alcantara, I mean, I think the things that I like, I like, I think that he's going to provide volume. Um, he threw 197 innings in 2019. So I think the volume is going to be there. I think he's um, made strides in each year. I think he is a guy who can generally speaking limit contact because of the velocity being elite um, and him having that hard sinker. Um, he's developed a slider, which is really good. Um, 14% K minus walk rate uh, last year, which was up. He's really been um, a really good pitcher. I mean, I, I shouldn't say a really good pitcher, but he's been a good pitcher since, you know, um, he started, he replaced the sinker, I think, with, with his four seam, um, at least in terms of throwing it more often. Um, it's his changeup that's really good. I don't know why I said slider. It's his changeup that's really good. Close to a 20% swinging strike rate. Um, and so, yeah, so I think he's, I think he's fine. I think he's good. I think he'll provide volume. I think he'll strike out about a guy in inning you know, maybe walk like a decent chunk of guys, but overall I think he's like solid, but not necessarily spectacular. And I think he needs to make some moves to become um, elite. Corbin's kind of interesting because, you know, he's so reliant on that slider. We saw the decrease in velocity. We saw the decrease, you know, slightly in the effectiveness of that slider, but it really has a big impact for him. How much of that was the shortened season, not having the spring training? He's fallen a ways, right? And so part of me is like, he shouldn't fall that much just based on this small sample size, but I've never really been that into Patrick Corbin because he is so reliant on that one pitch. Um, so I still haven't really been investing in him much. Um, Frankie Montas, we do have a lot of questions about Montas. Um, he's very interesting. I mean, when I was looking at um, uh, Alex Chamberlain's pitch leaderboard, I mean, the pitches looked, you know, pretty decent. Um, it's just the home runs and the Babbitt you know, that was, that was challenging. And again, in a small sample size, you have less of an opportunity to have those things kind of naturally regress. He did have a 15.6% K minus walk rate. You know, the overall skills were pretty solid. The strand rate dipped, which also had the walk rate go up, which is never, you know, a really good sign. Um, when you look at his pitch mix, so the splitter continued to be a really good pitch for him. Um, but he did, he it doesn't seem like he was throwing it as often. Um, the slider was not as good for him this year. So again, there are some changes in the pitch mix and the effectiveness of that pitch mix, which I, you know, which is hard to kind of glean out to fig, to tease out like, you know, how, you know, which one is the real, which one is the real Montas, if you will. Um, let me just take a really look quick. The barrel rate went up as well. You know, so that's a little bit of a question for me is if you look at his barrel rate career, it's at 6.2%, you know, in 2019, it was at 3.8%. So you see like, you know, maybe that barrel rate was a little bit lower than it should be. And so you have the home run per nine, that's maybe, you know, a little bit lower than it should be. So I don't know. I mean, I think I don't know. It's a tough one. And, and it's probably an avoid for me for that reason, because like, if I can't create a narrative about why this is, is necessarily going to be good, like if it all doesn't go together and, and I need to dive in a little bit deep, more deeply, then I have a, I have trouble picking the guy. Um, but a guy that I like in this group a lot is Tyler Molly. Um, I think he was really good last year. I think mean, he's got a solid spot in that rotation now. Um, uh, because of what, um, you know, because of um, Bauer, I don't think he's going to resign there. So he's definitely in there. You know, the strikeouts were really nice. The swinging strike rate close to 14%. You 
you know, the walk rate went up um, a good chunk, but I, but I almost feel like, I think Molly always, always, um, I think, I think he's a guy who is okay nibbling a little bit more because I think when he gets into the middle of the plate is when he gets hit hard. But if he nibbles, it was kind of like, he was like, okay, I'm going to walk guys. I'm not going to give in. I'm going to walk guys and I'm going to make them beat me. And I don't think guys were able to do that um, last year with Molly. Um, he has the really nice um, four seam uh, cutter combination um, that he threw quite a bit, especially towards the end of last year. Um, you know, 18.6% swinging strike rate on that cutter, uh, four seam at 11.6% uh, swinging strike rate, which is really nice. And so he's able to, to um, I think, you know, with, the, with that two pitch combination, uh, be really nasty. And then he's got the splitter um, that he throws as well. Not as effective as a pitch, but, um, you know, maybe enough to keep people, people off of him. So I really like Molly. He's a guy because of where he's going in that like kind of 150, 160 range. If he falls a little bit, he's a guy that I'll target as either my SP3 or my SP4. Um, because I really do think that I think he's got kind of, I think I, he's got it all. He's got the velo. Uh, he can limit contact with the, with the increased velo. And now he's got a pitch mix that I think makes him really dangerous. Yeah, no, um, a lot, a lot going on there. Sixto Sanchez. I'm with you. Like he's fun. I'll enjoy watching him. Enjoy the gifts that uh, Alex fast makes on Sixto Sanchez, but he needs to finish guys. Like you said. So until he develops that pitch to actually strike guys out, it's going to be tough. Like he's really good at getting through innings because he doesn't walk a lot of guys. He limits the damage for the most part. But you know, the more you let big league players with the ball and play, eventually it's going to catch up to you. So I'm going to just kind of pass on Sixto for now. And his teammate Sandy Alcantara is a great play. Like looking at his his projections and just his overall stats in the past, really good ratio guy. Strikeouts aren't huge, like seven to eight and a half per nine, give or take. And it rings a Kyle Hendricks bell to me. Like, this guy will eat innings. He will get you ratios. He'll strike out a good amount, not a great amount. But he's one of those guys that if you have some volatility in your rotation, I think Alcantara is a great pick. I, I like him a ton. Uh, this Marlins rotation, we mentioned Pablo. Sixto will still be good, just maybe not fantasy good. You have Alcantara there. They have a good-looking rotation, plus some other young arms uh, hanging around there. So I like Alcantara a bunch. He, he could be this year's Kyle Hendricks as, as Hendricks. We talked about him last week. He's a top 30 SP now, which is crazy. So now you have um, Alcantara at SP 42 at the moment. That could be your guy to kind of take that uh, torch from Hendricks. Uh, Patrick Corbin's a tough one. I agree with what you said. It's, it's a theme that I know I've said here and, and other shows. There's so many guys that if we did our 2019 uh, – our 2020 analysis, looking at 2019 numbers and whatnot, we'd have like this just awesome team that you can draft now because uh, in different spots in the draft where Corbin, like you said, went so much higher. Now you can get him here. With the, there's all these guys in different positions in the same spots. And Corbin, it makes you want to be like, okay, is this is this too cheap for Patrick Corbin? And it's tough with the velocity issues because when you look at his, his stat cast, his savant page, um, barrel rate, you know, in 2019 it was 9.4, but prior to that was always 6 to 7 when he was good. It was 6.5 last year, so that was great. Uh, exit Vila went up, uh, you know, about a half mile an hour from last year, about two miles an hour from the 18. Not great. You don't want that launch angle went up pretty big. That could explain the home runs a lot because the sweet spot's the same. X batting average took a jump. Um, the power numbers took a jump because the velocity was down. And that's that's the problem. So it's one of those, if you get the velocity back up, might be worth taking, but uh, you won't know that until at least spring training. 
So I'll be passing on Corbin for now. Frankie Montas, I am very intrigued with because he's a guy that was absolutely dominant his first four starts. Absolutely filthy dominant. 157 ERA, FIP at 258. X FIP was 443. So that makes you kind of wonder a little bit. But no home runs in the first four starts, five or more Ks in three or four starts. Very, very good stuff there. Um, and then he had a back injury. And that's what I remember very clearly because he was supposed to start. He got scratched. They brought him back like three days later instead of like just completely missing a start. It was really weird. And from that on, from the uh, 18th to the 27th, he made two, four, seven starts. He had an 8.70 ERA, 6.39 FIP, 4.31 XFIP. And he gave up um, a home run in all but one game, his last game of the year. Still had five or more Ks in all but and in three, uh, four of the seven games. But it's like you said, he was a he was a different pitcher once the back injury happened. Eleven point seven percent barrel, forty four percent hard hit rate after the back injury. Before the back injury, a one point seven percent barrel rate, twenty point three percent hard hit rate. So it really makes me wonder how messed up was his back still? Was he trying to, to favor something? What was going on? Because you mentioned that the splitter still looked good. You look at all the, the pitch peripherals from the pitch leaderboard. All looked good. So was there something else going on? And that's where I think taking a, a chance on Frankie Montas really has me intrigued, especially in an overall competition. Because this is a guy we were talking about being the A's ace last year. And I don't think he's that far off from being that guy again if he gets back to being – uh, you know, healthy like he was with the start last season. So I think Frankie Montas really has my attention going into this season where he's being drafted at 155. I think this is a, a great uh, price tag for Frankie Montas. And Tyler Molle, I don't mind him at all. The, the stuff's good, like you mentioned. If he's in the zone, too much has been proven. It is not good, especially in Great American Small Park. So if he's executing on the perimeters, as you mentioned, and kind of pitch mixing it right, it's very good. Just a kind of dicey situation, but I get it. If you want to, if you want to roll with Molly, I have no problem with that at all. I'll take Frankie Montas one pick before him, but uh, they're both they're both good. I think Montas is ceiling much much higher, and, and I think it's just one little thing. I really think that injury back injuries are uh, they don't go away that quickly. So I think the A's we've seen the A's mishandle guys with injuries. Look at you, Chris Davis. So um, and Matt Chapman, like they just they have a weird way of handling it. I think they mishandled Frankie Montas last year. All right, 46 through 50, Dustin May. Marco Gonzalez, the conundrum that is Marco Gonzalez. Uh, David Price, if he pitches this year. Mike Soroka and Herman Marquez. What stands out to you here? Yeah, I mean, May, I'm really staying away from May. I think it's similar in, in terms of Sixto Sanchez, like where you get all the gifts and you get all this remarkable movement and you get all these things. But when you look at the underlying metrics, they just don't. They don't pop, and I don't think he's going to strike out, strike guys out. And obviously, things could change, and he could, but I don't want to pay that price um, to get him, particularly since we, did, we don't know what type of role um, he's going to have. Um, Marco Gonzalez, you know, I don't mind Gonzalez at all. Um, I think um, – I can't remember who it was on a – I was listening to a podcast, and, um, and, they were, and they were saying a quote that he had. And I can't remember who it was. I wish I could, but they're just saying the quote he essentially had is Gonzalez said, if you look at my performance every single year, I improve. And like, he's really kind of committed to that craft. And so I think, especially if you're looking for volume in terms of innings, you know, he's not going to necessarily provide the case, although he's improved, I think incrementally, but he doesn't walk guys really. So I think the whip is always going to be really nice. So I think he's a really nice kind of lower whip guy. So if you have some concerns, maybe 
Maybe you have, you know, some higher walk rate guys earlier on your in your rotation that are providing some of those Ks. I think he can be a really nice complement. And he's the type of guy who might fall a little bit, I think, as drafts approach in March when people are really focused on ceiling, they're focused on Ks. I think he's a guy who can, um, uh, you know, who might be able to, um, you know, su surprise some, um, or not surprise some people, but he, who might fall back a little bit because the profile isn't maybe as sexy. But um, uh, I, I actually like him. Um, and, and if he's in the right place, I could see myself grabbing him as like maybe my SP4. Um, but again, it depends on kind of where he, um, where he ends up. Um, yeah. I mean, I mean, if you look at it, like 20, he had a 20.6% came on his walk rate, right? Um, he's kind of a CSW guy versus a, versus a swinging strike rate guy too. Um, David Price, I don't know. I just, I can't really take a position on him until I know what, if he's going to play or not, you know, um, he was pretty good in 2019. I think he's overall solid. I think he'll be a solid value if he plays and, and he plays, you know, on a, on a consistent basis, but I'm not, I'm not drafting him at this point, um, you know, for that reason. And maybe I'm missing out on value, but I just, I don't, I don't necessarily want to go there. Soroka, I'm always kind of the last man on, on Soroka and Jeff Zimmerman had a, a nice little blurb on him in mining the news today, just about how, you know, he should be, ready pretty close to when the season starts. Um, but that the concern is that they're really going to baby him a lot. You know, they're, they're going to bring him around slowly. They want him to be ready for the playoffs. Um, especially, you know, um, I think we have the expanded playoffs this year again. So, yeah, you know, negotiate that and we, we will have it. It's not yeah. good. Um, you have the DH for expanded playoffs. Exactly. That's, yeah. that's, that's the, that's the So, you know, again, so that's, that's, a um, um, uh, yeah, that's, I, I'm just staying away from Soroka. He's, his profile is just not that interesting to me. Herman Marquez is interesting because overall, like, you know, where he's going now, you're kind of baking in the price of cores and his core starts. He's not awful all the time there, you know, but it's just, he's going to have those couple blowups. And so it's just hard, especially in like a deeper league, like a 15 team league, um, to invest heavily in him, knowing that you may sit him in quite a few of those starts. And that he'll be he'll be kind of taking up a a bit bench spot for you there, you know, because there's some other guys going around the spot which I feel a little bit more comfortable, um, you know, maybe going with. So I know that there's a lot of people who are kind of Marquez fans, but um, I'm I'm oftentimes not shopping in this in this region. Yeah, no, it's tough, you know. Never never Coors Field. That's, that's just one of the golden rules. It usually works more often than not. But I'm 100 with you on Dustin May. Like I, I love the guy. I wrote him up for an article that's coming out pretty soon, I think, about draft guys to avoid, and Dustin May is not one I'll be picking because he doesn't track guys out. It's it. He's really fun to watch, but he doesn't go deep in the games. The Dodgers will mess with him, and he doesn't strike guys out. And I don't know how he does. The only thing I can think of, and I know it was a kind of a common topic when people would put gifts out. I think Eno talked about it, and Fast talked about it, and some other guys did. It's almost like he's so filthy that pitchers or a lot of hitters just won't swing and they'll watch it go out of the zone or something. And that's why they don't strike out. It's just really bizarre. Like, you know, he's got something crazy coming your way. And unless it's a fast play, it's kind of like, you know what? I'm going to take my chances on the slider, not sinking or whatever. Or whatever. It's not going to happen. So it's a really weird dynamic with Dustin May. I like Marco Gonzalez a lot. It's weird seeing Marco Gonzalez at this draft price, but I think he is very good. He's a guy I've liked a lot in the past, mainly because of his draft price, but he doesn't really hurt you very often. Good ballpark to pitch in, decent division to pitch in. 
can have a good team around him. Um, looking at you know the pitch leaderboard on him, the sinker a deserved area one one four, the cutter deserved area two three eight. Those are two really elite pitches. He uses them about you know sixty to seventy percent of the time, I believe, which is pretty dominant when those are your two main pitches. Uh, no, yeah, about almost sixty, almost seventy percent combined. So um, that that's not too shabby there with Marco. Like you mentioned, great CSW type guy. Um, the deserved K's leave a lot to be desired. So might be some regression coming there. He's just a, a weird guy to look at. He's hard to sell yourself on because you watch him, you're like, how does this get professional athletes out? Go watch old tape of Jimmy Key and let me know how you feel about that one. <laughs> Jimmy Key in his, what, like 5K yeah. per 9? Oh, man. Back in the and, day. and the dude pitched forever because he was getting out. Like, it's, it's crazy. So sometimes, you know, you don't have to be a fast pitcher. Um, so Marco is not bad. I agree with you on David Price. If we knew he was in, I wouldn't be worried about the Indians at all, to be honest. I really wouldn't because he's he's so far down the line. He's he's one of those guys that he's going to throw you 150 plus. That's what's that's what you're going to get at this point in the draft. That's fine. So if I know he's in, I'm all about this. Problem is, if we know he's in, this price is going to go up. So if you want to take the risk, that's on you. But I can't at this point. Uh, Soroka, I won't be on either because I've heard the baby and stuff and. Uh, I'm with you. I'm, I'm never really on him the way everybody else is. Like I'd rather go. I was on Max Fried a lot last year. Uh, we'll talk about Ian. A- I think we actually talked about Ian Anderson last week. We did. Um, yeah. yeah, and he's another guy that even though he's going a lot higher, I'd rather have him than Soroka. It's a weird deal there. So I'll just kind of pass on Soroka. And then Herman Marquez is the guy I never want. I said never Coors. He's at least worth a discussion this year because he's going um, have pick one seventy eight. I don't just top of my head. It feels like it's a hundred picks later than last year. So it's, it's a lot more of a discussion point. It's a, it's a pick where like last year when you took him, you almost had to start him every day, every start. Now where you're taking him, you can be like, you know what? He's got two starts in Coors. I'm going to sit him. I'm cool with it. And I'll wait. Cause he's on the road. He's, he's an ace. He's an absolute beast. It's obviously Coors field can be tricky. I don't have an issue. If you want to take Marquez now, um, the bloom boards are one of the most amazing things on Twitter, of course, from Ryan Westfield. And um, I don't even have to like explain it to you because if you listen to this show, you obviously know what a bloom board is. But if you don't, go check out Ryan uh, Bloomfield at Ryan uh, BHQ. And um, his one for today on Tuesday, January 5th, was about a handful of pitchers if you give them a mulligan game, to give them a mulligan ERA, basically. So if you took out Marquez's worst start, like he did it for Frankie Montas, Savali, all these guys, but if you took out um, Herman Marquez's worst start, I'm pulling it up right here. It was very um, – he would have had a 2.82 ERA. He finished with a 3.75 ERA. He had one start with five innings of 10 earned runs. If you take that one start away, which obviously you can't, but if you could, which if you drafted him here, you could have sat him because I'm pretty sure top of my head, probably a cooler field game. 2.82 ERA on the season. That is outstanding. And he gets you strikeouts. He does it all. So at this point in the draft, I don't have a problem with Marquez. That's that's the easiest way I can say it without getting into the, the metrics and all that kind of stuff. So for once, I will back anybody that wants to take Herman Marquez in this year's draft. Yeah, and, and one thing about those bloom boards, I mean, I love the bloom boards. Um, I love the, the work that Ryan's doing over there. I retweet like every single one. You know, one thing about about the, the kind of mulligan games is I think you need to take – the pitcher's full season into context, right? Because oftentimes those games will happen. And I kind of refer to them as regression games because oftentimes you'll see guys who are just keeping these unsustainable numbers. And then, you know, just the way it works, like all of a sudden it all comes at one particular time. 
So it's important, like, as much as we want to give them mulligans for that game to look over the course of a full season and to find out whether maybe it is a situation where, like, a Marquez gave up, had that huge, that, that, that terrible outing. And when you look at his numbers, you're like, you want to know something? Yeah, it seems like maybe he just had this earlier on in the season. And over the course of the season, it seems like the skills will kind of win out. And the positive and, and the positive regression will will kind of be in his favor. So, um, you know, uh, it's a really interesting concept. I, I would just I would just say like make sure you're looking at the largest sample, right, and not just looking at, at one start um, or or not. Let's look at the large sample. I just pulled up his game logs. He made 13 starts last year. That start on the 23 of 10 runs was to Houston in Coors. Oof. He gave up five runs to San Diego in Coors. Eleven other starts was three in runs or less home road combined. Yeah. That's pretty darn outstanding. His overall season, including the five run run and the ten run run games, he had a .66 home run per nine, or basically nine point four percent home run to fly ball. Yeah, um, I, I'm looking at his numbers right now, and I'm thinking, is it repeatable because of course? Maybe not, but like he's he's that good right now, and he says strikeouts are almost five or more per every game. Um, he had a lot of two run run or less outings. Doesn't walk a ton of guys. I'm just looking at his his numbers here and. I agree with what you're saying because, you know, Montas was on that list, the Bloom Boards. Flaherty, who we've talked about already, had some issues. There's, there's guys on the list that make kind of things stand out. But, man, that's why, I pulled up, that's why I pulled it up when you said it. And you look at everything else, and it's just like, wow, this is actually pretty darn legit. So I'm, I'm going to probably talk myself into it. He's going to end up with like a 7 ERA this year. But, um, yeah, Herman Marquez, I don't mind at all. Well, I'm going to talk you out of it right here. No, I mean, just looking at his overall – the overall full season, right – he had a 3.75 ERA and a 3.28 WHIP, a 1.26 WHIP. The 1.26 WHIP is is about his career average, right? When you look at his BABIP, it was at 300. His career BABIP is at 3.11. So maybe slightly lucky, but not anything crazy. Well, that ballpark doesn't rate, help the BABIP either. What's that? That ballpark doesn't help the BABIP either. Yeah, but he's going to be in that in that ball, yeah. ballpark, right? So like 65.5% strand rate. You know that is very low. It's lower than his career rate. So maybe there's a little bit of, you know, positive regression heading his way there. But then you take a look at like the home run per nine at 0.66. That's about half of what his career average has been. And his home run per fly ball rate over the course of the full season was 9.4%. So you got to believe that there's a few more home runs in there that he didn't give up, right? When you look at his K-minus walk rate, 14% compared to what he had in previous seasons, 19.4, 21.2. Swinging strike rate was down as well. Um, you know, the walk rate was higher than it was in 2019. Uh, if you look at his first pitch strike, it was higher. Zone percentage about the same, but the O swing was down. And so that kind of, you know, maybe doesn't compensate fully for the walk rate increase. But if I look at the overall line, I'd say it was fair. And if anything, he probably got maybe a little bit lucky last year in the grand scheme of things. So, you know, that's how I kind of, when I say like looking at like the full, picture of that season is like, those are the numbers that I can, I can see pretty easily, like from a luck standpoint, how lucky or unlucky he was because the general theory in the mulligan idea is that he was unlucky in that game, but it assumes that he was even luck the rest of the game with the rest of the games. You know what I'm saying? So I don't know. Anyways. Yeah. Yeah. I'm still on team Marquez. You, All right. you, you haven't convinced me. There we because- do that. We do that. Because I'm looking at his, you know, you mentioned the the ERA, the XFIP, the FIP, they all line out. Um, he eats up innings. And in fact, my initial argument point, he's about 100 picks better than he was last year. So now you can actually sit him in Coors Field games and, and you're okay. 
So if you, then you can take all the luck you want out of the game because on the road in his career, you can go look at all those numbers and you're pretty much gold. Oh, yeah. He's so sweet. That, that, that's yeah. where I, I'm standing on that one. Yeah, um, I love it because you have to contextualize everything. Like his FIP, like, yeah, he, he uh, underperformed his FIP, but over his career, he's underperformed it by about 0.4 over his career. So you'd anticipate that he'd be pretty similar there. So I like this back and forth, but we should do this on guys all the time. Yeah, and uh, last thing I'll say, and also, uh, and, and uh, okay, I keep pulling up pages on him now as we talk. Oh, his, his, pages his, upon pages of Herman Marquez. Yeah, a guy I never wanted to talk about ever. Um, yeah. like the barrel rate was lower than it's ever been. His X stats were all low. Like they all supported this, so it's kind of a weird. What you said is right. I'm not saying it's wrong, but then like you've got these other side of the spectrum. He was also good here, like his other spots. So it's kind of a. A weird dynamic, but for me, it goes back to he's literally like 100 picks cheaper. And that that justifies a lot more to me to take the pick than in years past, especially in this group, like with Soroka and Price and Gonzalez. Marquez is an ace where these guys maybe can be a number two. Like it, it, that, That's where the argument for me comes into play. What about the group that's coming up next, though? This group gets good. Uh, 51 through 55, Aaron Savali, who everyone is talking about now writing articles about, Triple Play Fantasy has him on a podcast Um Everyone is Aaron Savali. Uh, you have Dallas Keuchel. You have Tony Gonsolin, another Dodger pitcher. Uh, Zach Eflin and Tristan McKenzie. Um, yeah, it's like maybe two guys I like here. Maybe. What about you? Yeah, you know, I've never been, been Team Savali, but um, I can see where he gets there. I just think the challenge, you know, because he's got like a really deep pitch mix, and he's got some pitches that jumped, and it's very clear that he is a student of the game and like, really wants to improve just based on his engagement on Twitter and stuff. But the question is, can he get that fastball or sinker to the point where, where it can play those pitches up a little bit more? And maybe that's the case, or maybe he doesn't even need that. Um, you know, I don't exactly know. So he's really interesting because, you know, the price isn't too, um, you know, isn't too, isn't too crazy. So I, don't, I, I, I haven't bought in yet, but I can definitely see why people are, are very interested. That repertoire is, is very close to being um, very good. Um, oh no, I'm on the clock in one of my drafts. <laughs> Gosh, what should I do here? JT uh, Realmuto. JT Realmuto is not available. <laughs> There's a couple different things I could do here. It's always fun to like draft while other people are there. What, what I like to go hitting. I like to go hitting pretty deep. I don't have any Adam Duvall shares, and I feel like he might sign with. Soon with the. Didn't he just sign? Did he sign? Yeah, I'm pretty sure he just signed a deal. Did, did he just? Like, like yesterday, the day before. Let me double check it. Pretty sure he just did. Did he sign a deal? Yeah. What What round are you in? Um. Oh, it's pretty deep. Um. We're. I'm in round uh, 25. Um. You know what I'm going to oh, do? No, he, he has not signed. The um. Oh yeah. No, the Miami Marlins. Uh, they're talking to him. They have not signed him yet, but Miami Martins were looking into him. So no, he's oh, still somebody a take my guy. Somebody took my guy that I was going to take. <laughs> they totally they took this all out. I mean, I could go heavy pitching here. I could go. Wow, this is so difficult. It's always so challenging. Okay. God, there's two guys that I really like a lot. All right. Oh man, this is so tough. Okay. I'm going to go Duval here. 
That's my first share of Adam Duvall, ladies and gentlemen, just here, right here on the podcast for you. That was really exciting entertainment. What round is that? Uh, round 25. 25? Okay. Yeah, round 25. I've got a couple pictures I'm eyeing here. We'll see if, it, if either one of them make it back to me. Um, so um, Keuchel, I like Keuchel in a, in a particular team build. I mean, I think like if you um, – he's a little bit on the early side. Like he falls into this kind of Ryan Yarborough, Kyle Hendricks type thing. The thing that I love is the volume. The thing that I love is he's pitching for the White Sox, and I think the ratios are going to be solid for him. Um, but the strikeouts are going to be minimal, like pretty compared to like every pitcher, they're going to be really low. Um, Gonsolin is super interesting because he's got the two pitches that are 20 plus swinging strike rate and his velocity is really nasty as well. But again, like, is he even going to be in that rotation? Right. And they're going to be working him in and out. So maybe, you know, which, which, you know, in a deeper league, like a 15 team league, maybe there's benefit to having that, especially going into like this year when volume may not be as much of a, of a, of an issue, at least in terms of competing with, you know, the, the kind of league average, but, um, you know, definitely very interesting, but I just think there's other guys in this spot that I, I'm interested in a little bit more. Eflin I like as well. I mean, I think he made some really nice, um, uh, changes, uh, last year with the pitch mix. I think the Phillies are getting a little bit smarter, um, with their pitching, um, he was really good. I mean, if you look at the metrics across the board and in, in a relatively like difficult, you know, pitching environment in terms of the NL East and, and the AL East that he had to face, um, uh, K minus walk rate was 22.4%, swinging strike rate up at 10.2%. But he does, um, he's more of a CSW guy, I think, than a swinging strike guy. You know, all the metrics were really nice. He had a 344 Babbitt, so you'd expect some regression on that. So he was unlucky. I mean, I think there's a, a lot to like in Eflin's profile. Um, so I, I don't mind going uh, with Eflin right here as well as kind of like an SP4. Um, for me, McKenzie, I've been off on, you know, the velocity dip as he pitched has been kind of well-documented, although the skills were really, really nice last year. I mean, they were really, really good. I'm just not sure there's so much the, 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 uh, I don't think Cleveland is going to be as committed to having him in the starting rotation on a consistent basis. And if he's not in the starting rotation on a consistent basis, again, picking, drafting him right here, I'm just not, uh, maybe not as confident um, uh, in that. Um, so, you know, a group of guys that I maybe have like one share of in all my teams, um, you know, there's reasons to like them, reasons maybe not to be as interested in them. There's, it, it, it's a weird range, and I'm with you there. Like Savali, I like, I liked him going into the last year also. And the main argument, like you mentioned, in pretty much every article I've seen on him and every interview I've heard of him, it's the pitch mix because he has so many pitches to throw and some are really, really good. Like uh, Mike Michael Ajetto from uh, PitcherList, he came out with an article on Tuesday about the pitch mix changes he needs to make. So it's it's one of those little things that does he make them? We'll see. And um, that, that, that could be quite intriguing. So I like him at the, the – Pick you're gonna you're taking him like 185 ish. It's fine because you know the Indians are gonna let their guys throw. So that's always good to know. This late in the draft, you're gonna go to a guy that's gonna throw a lot of Indians, which is always really nice. So I think Savali is very intriguing at this point. Keuchel strictly a ratio guy, like you said, not a big strikeout guy, but he'll eat up innings. He'll get you more like quality start leagues. He's really good. Uh, he's gonna get a lot of run support with the White Sox. Uh, so a couple of bad uh, lineups he gets to face in the Central. So he's not a bad pick by any means. He's just not going to light your strikeouts on fire. So 
if you get to start, like you mentioned earlier with Darvish and Giolito, Keuchel's not a bad play. But um, it just depends on how your, your roster construction works. Uh, Gonsolin, I, I like a lot too. Like we saw some really good signs out of him last year. Biggest question, as you mentioned, do the Dodgers let him roll? And that that's a very big if. With uh, we mentioned Urias already, we mentioned May. There's a lot of young arms there. Kershaw's going to get some time to, to chill. Uh, they might not have Price. There's there's a weird dynamic in that rotation. I'd imagine Gonsolin gets some good run because he got most of the run last year. Like they moved May to the pen at times. Urias to the pen. They rolled with Gonsolin. So. It'll be interesting to see how that works. I don't mind him in this uh, this point in the draft. It's just you got to got to be prepared that you might get kind of shafted on what you're hoping for, and that that's not always the best feeling at this point in the draft. So you might want to go elsewhere. Um, Zach Eflin is very intriguing. This is a guy that kind of put it together a bit last year: three nine seven ERA, three three nine FIP, three two three xFIP, ten point six eight K per nine, so almost a twenty nine percent K rate. 6% walk rate, so it's K to walk, 22.4%, by far the best of his career, by far. So, you know, Steamer's got him back to a 13.2% uh, K to walk, which is much more Zach Eflin-esque. Uh, they have him as a 4.73 ERA. That's more Zach Eflin-esque as well. One thing that he will do, though, is he will throw a lot of innings for a very good Phillies team, and he's a guy that's worth keeping on. You mentioned he's a big CSW guy, and it's that's pretty much dead on. You know, uh, sinker, 30% CSW. Curveball 39 and a half, four seam 30%, and a slider and his change of uh, about 23, 24% as well. Mixes a, a lot of his pitches together. He can keep guys off balance with that pitch mix, which is which is actually pretty nice to see in Philadelphia. But it's a heavy sinker guy, and that needs to keep changing. We saw that the, the sliders come up this past year. More sliders, more curveballs, maybe even more high four seam fastballs would be good because we know sinkers aren't the uh, the best pitch in the world. So that's something to keep in mind with him. And then Tristan McKenzie, I'll pass. Uh, I just The innings, the inconsistency, I, I won't be going there with him. All right, 56 through 60. Jordan Montgomery, your boy, Drew Smiley, Andrew Heaney, Christian Javier, and a guy I don't understand why he's going this late in drafts is Chris Bassett. So uh, what do you like in this range? This is the moment I've been waiting for. Yeah, this is your floor. My whole life. Your opus. Your opus. There's a couple, couple guys I love. I love I love Jordan Montgomery. I have not gotten him yet because he go, he always seems to go early for me. I'm waiting for him to fall into the like 200s for me, and he just will not get there. So Montgomery last year, if you look at the skills, 12.9% swinging strike rate, 19.7% uh, K-minus walk rate, um, 37.1% O-swing, really low walk rate. Nice K rate. Um, you know, uh, he had a velo increase as well. He's pitching for the Yankees, so a really good context. He's going to be in that rotation. So his changeup had a 23.7% swing strike rate, his 39.4% O swing. He's got a 14.5% curveball. The four seam even had a 10.1% swing strike rate. He throws the sinker more, but I think there's a lot uh, of, of good. Um, that Jordan Montgomery can um, come through on. I mean, he his BABIP was 320. Um, his strand rate was 65%. His home run was at 1.43. Um, and so I think there's some natural regression there, which is captured in some of the ERA estimators for him. So I think he's, he's, a, he's a really big um, target. Um, my probably my biggest or, you know, kind of later round target is Drew Smiley. 
Um, I've been on him since the end of last year. Um, I've been on him this year. I said, I, I, when his draft price skyrocketed, I was like, I'm not going to do it. And I've done it like three or four times since then. Um, there's just so much to like, uh, with Smiley when he came back, um, from the IL, like his velocity was up, um, which was something that actually I was really big into Smiley heading into last year for that same reason, the velocity uptick, but he went up, uh, 2.6 miles per hour on his four seam fastball. He averaged 93, nine on the left from the left side. Um, he's got, uh, the fastball had a 10% swinging strike rate. So pretty solid curveball at 22.4% and a 40.8% O swing cutter at 12.6%. But all of those numbers were higher, um, towards the end of the season when he really had that below uptick, he was absolutely dominant, you know, the last stretch of the season against some pretty good teams, including the Padres there on the last day of the season. Um, I think his swinging strike rate was like 17% over his last three starts, which is obviously a small sample. And you'll notice, uh, Mike the Mouth, that I said small sample and not small sample size. I'm learning. Shout out. Um, uh, that small sample, you know, and you may say, oh, it's only three games. Well, let me tell you something. There are very few starting pitchers that even over like 15 innings can have a 17% swinging strike. That is like incredible. And I really think that Smiley, um, I think he can be really, really good. And the injury concerns are there, but you're drafting him to ADP of 200. And so for me, he's been my SP4, my SP5 in every single draft. And I'm fine taking upside in that particular case, especially since there's some guys going later on that I feel pretty comfortable, you know, will have like a decent whip and a decent ERA, maybe not get you the, the Ks but I'm willing to kind of take that risk on him. Um, and I, and I really love him. Um, Andrew Heaney, I'm out on just like I am every year. And I just don't think he can put it together. Like he hasn't really put it together ever. He gets hit too hard. Um, and it's always so appetizing, but it never really comes through. Christian Javier, totally out on Christian Javier as well. Uh, when you look at the skills, I mean, talk about like overperforming, um, his Christian Javier's swinging strike rate over his last five games. I was looking at this, um, earlier this week was like 5.3%, something like that. So his swinging strike rate was 8.7%. Somehow he had a 25.2% K rate. His CSW was like 27.3% way below league average. Um, you know, the walk rate, he's never had good right walk rates. His first pitch strike rate was 44.4%. His O swing was 26.3%. There is no reason whatsoever that this guy should have had either a good K rate or a decent walk rate at all. He had a 194 bat up at 86.2 strand rate. I don't think he's very good unless he's a different pitcher than he was last year. And then Bassett, you know, Bassett's fine. He's one of these guys like um, that I mentioned, you know, where I think the ratios are going to be pretty good. Um, but the strikeouts may not necessarily, um, uh, be there. Um, you know, he was overall, uh, you know, very solid last year, had a really nice stretch towards the back end of the season. Although I think not totally supported by some of the like strikeout walk skills, but, um, you know, still like he manages to get it done. He's like the quintessential Oakland A's pitcher, I feel like. 100% with you there. And Montgomery's a tough one. Like, I, I like the stuff. I liked him last year going to the last season. 
Um, he's going to go too high for me, most likely. Like he's going for you, but uh, he's going to have a spot in that rotation, which can be very, very nice. So something to keep in mind there. Uh, I do like Drew Smiley a lot, as you do as well. So I won't go too much farther into that. But uh, I, the changes he made in Philadelphia a couple of years ago carried over to the Giants. I wanted the Giants to resign, and they didn't. The Braves got a gift. Um, he's he's going to do just just fine for the Braves. So no problems there. Heaney, I'm never on, so we're 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 not the same there. Christian Javier is a tough one. I, I probably won't draft him anywhere, but I, I want to see what he does this year, just stats wise. Because while you were talking, I pulled up his game logs. His last three games, he had a zero percent barrel rate in all three games. So that was uh, you know, just overall. You look at his, his his overall hard hit numbers. He limits hard contact like a madman. And I don't know if it was a one year small sample or if it was who he is. So I I'll wait and see this year to see who he is because I I agree with a lot of what you said is. You know, the first pitch strike, the swinging strikes. Like, a lot of this does not add up. This just does not happen. But, like, the quality of contact is super low with uh, Christian Javier. So it's going to be interesting to see if that's who he is or if, if it's not. So I'm going to follow that one. Not drafting him, but definitely a guy I want to keep an eye on that if, like, the first month he's doing the same thing, I wouldn't mind taking a waiver chance on him because he's going to be in the AOS. He's going to have some nice matchups. So that's something to keep in mind, but I probably will not draft him. And then uh, – Chris Bassett, 100% on Chris Bassett. I love Chris Bassett. I agree, not a huge strikeout guy. Uh, he did strike out six or more in three straight starts to finish the season. Doesn't give up a lot of home runs, keeps the ball in the yard. Helps being in Oco Coliseum for sure, but doesn't give up a lot of runs, period. Six or more innings and a lot of starts. So quality start leagues, very good pitcher to have if you're in those leagues. Um, the ballpark's a big factor for him because 2 2 uh, 90 ERA, 449 XFIP, um, just 276 BABIP's not ideal, but uh, gets the job done because he gets too many fly balls for my liking, but uh, ballpark helps him a ton. And uh, I, I like him. Like you, like you said, you said it perfectly. Quintessential Oakland A's pitcher. That's what he is. You're getting him uh, post 200 in your draft to pick 213. I don't mind him as all as like a SP5 or so in your, in your rotation. So I like Chris Bassett quite a bit. All right. Did you have something else? I'm on the, on the clock again. Okay. What do you got? I don't know. Should I try to thread the needle? I might try, yes. to, I'm gonna try to thread the needle. I've got two guys I want. I'm going to go TJ Anton. He fell to the 26th round, pick 378. I, re- I really like TJ Anton. That's a good one. Maybe we can talk about him. We, we I, th- I think we might get to talk about him. So let's start with one of our many listener questions, and some of them are going to kind of overlap. So um, I please forgive me if we uh, talk about uh, we won't talk about them twice. I'll just go over them there. But we'll start with Nick at N Biscardi seventeen. Which rookie or prospect pitcher are you high on or or are pegging for a breakout? So which young gun do you like this year, Toby? Which rookie though, right? Rookie or prospect? It could be a prospect. I would almost be willing to say like a guy that maybe made his debut last year. This is his first real go. Um, which young arm are you most excited for this year? Oh, I don't like I don't like young arms. Neither do I. But uh, um, this is a tough one. I'm like scrolling through here trying to identify. There's like, like Pearson, Kopech, McKenzie Gore, Tariq Skubal. I don't uh, like any of them. Is that bad? I like Brady Singer. You like Singer? No, the guy I really like. We're going to talk about him a lot. Is Justice Sheffield, but I don't know if he qualifies. Yeah, but he's pretty darn, he's pretty darn good for me. Uh, I mean, I, do like Singer, though, yeah. 
I mean, TJ Anton kind of qualifies, right? I mean, a little bit. Um, I think Danny uh, Garcia is another really good one for the Yankees. Danny Garcia, yeah. I, I don't mind I like him it. at all. Um, I think Josh Lindblom, too. He's not really like a rookie, but, you know. Um, I'll talk about TJ Anton just because I think he's really interesting. Um, I mean, 13% swing strike rate, 20.6% K minus walk rate. Um, you know, all of the metrics are really good. End zone contact is low. He got lucky on the Babbitt and the strand rate last year. Um, so there's a little bit of regression coming, but I don't think there's a reason why he can't, you know, and the thing that I like about him too, is they're looking at using him in two different potential roles, right? They've talked about him as potentially a closer candidate, but then he also could make the rotation could be that middle swing man. Um, but I think he's a really good pitcher. Um, and he's shown that with the skills that he's, he's demonstrated so far, he's only got whatever, 45 innings in, in uh, 35 innings in the majors. So that's kind of rookie-ish enough. And if you like StatCast, and I'm not always like super into StatCast pages, you know, um, but um, for TJ Anton, I suggest you take a look at it because um, if my memory is serving me correctly, it's it's kind of beautiful. Um, there's a lot of red. So 95% on his curveball spin, 98% on his fastball spin, 85% or 85th percentile on fastball velocity, 87th with, with 86% percentile K, you know, you just go through it and everything is pretty much red except for his barrel rate and, and his walk rate. And so, you know, the Kyle body has talked about how like spin their spin Cincinnati and he's kind of like a glaring example of a guy who is like, it almost seems like he was like created in a lab, you know, cause he probably was, um, you know, a lot of his stuff probably was. So I really like TJ Anton. I'm kind of cheating, but I don't really like a ton of the rookie, prospects this year i haven't really targeted them much anywhere yeah i think the more i look at it davy garcia probably the guy going later in drafts that i'd take a peek at that'd be someone that intrigues me in that yankees rotation for sure um let's go down to craig schumann asks understanding the risk in the profile are you buying back in on frankie montas hoping he regains some of his 2019 Ooh. form i am yes craig i don't think toby is yeah, I don't know. It's a really tough one. I was I was investing a little bit. I was listening to you and investigating a little bit more on Montas. I mean, one of the things that concerns me a little bit is his his splitter usage was down considerably last year. Um, I think from like around twenty percent to twelve percent, um, and it doesn't sound like a lot. But when that's your major swinging strike pitch, when you that's a twenty five percent swinging strike pitch. You know, it concerns me a little bit because I think that's a necessary component to having him take kind of that next step um, in 2019. So I'm probably not in on him, but I can I can easily see it. I can easily see it. Yeah, no, I'll be back in at the price point as we discussed. Uh, Andrew Armour asks, thoughts on Justice Sheffield? <laughs> Excuse me. Seemed to take some strides in the right direction last season. Can he build upon that and be more of a streamer option in 2021? I love him this year. I really do. There's some articles that have come out recently, but I dug in on him a while back. Um, the, the the improvements he made last year, that slider is absolutely ridiculous. Like super, super good. So I'm in on him. What about you? Uh, I'm going to have to disagree. Yeah, but I'm sorry. I'm sorry. There's so much disagreement on this podcast. Um, I just, I don't, I don't, necessarily see it for Sheffield. Um, what swing strike, what's that? What don't you see? Um, swing strike rate is super low, um, 8%. 
Um, you know, his whip was at 1.3 because the walk weight rate was pretty um, high. He can't get chases on pitches outside the zone, 28.3%. Super hittable in the zone, 92.1% in zone contact. That's like elite in zone contact against. 12.1% um, K minus walk rate, you know, that that's fine, right? Like it's slightly worse than league average. But when you break it down from a pitch perspective, he uses the sinker a ton. It's got a 5.1% swinging strike rate. No chase rate, gets hit a ton in the zone. Not a single one of his pitches. Well, one, his slider is at 89.8% in the zone uh, contact, but every other pitch is higher than that, right? So like elite in zone contact against, doesn't really have a pitch that gets that many chases outside the zone. And then his highest swinging strike rate pitch is that slider at 13.2%. Um, Changeup is at 5.6%. I just don't see the pitch mix being there. Um, maybe he bumps up the velo to previous levels. He was at 93 in 2019. He was at 92.2 this year. But also when you look at his rolling average graphs, like it's just not, um, it's not inspiring to me. So I'm, I'm out on him. So I apologize. I'm sorry. You don't have to apologize. You, you got your guys. I got my guys. So there's nothing wrong with that at all. Uh, that's why I do other podcasts. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, I, I love the slider. And it, it's something that the reason I love Sheffield is, A, again, we're talking draft price here. We're not talking about an A. Totally, totally, and, totally. And, and B, um, he's been improving each step along the way. Like when he was with the Yankees, he was horrific. He comes over to Seattle. That The end of that season was not great. This last year – had some roller coasters, but the last month of the season pitched very, very well. And his pitch mix changed even more in the last month or so. That's what I was reading about. He, As the season went on, he kept making more adjustments and becoming a different pitcher as the season went on. So it's hard for me to look at an entire season of stats knowing he was a different pitcher from the at the end than he was at the beginning. And that's that's where it's challenging. And, yes, even when like I look at just his September stats alone, there there's still some – lot to be desired like strikeout rates not high still walking too many guys walks have been a big issue for him period that's always been an issue with justice sheffield uh but the ground ball rate over the last month is 57 percent keeps the ball in the ballpark which i like quite a bit a bad up at 329 and he still was able to have a 216 era i'll take my chances there um i think there's still so much more to like and the, the strikeout rate actually would have been good his last start, he allowed he only struck out one guy. It was five or more in the three previous in September. So if he throws five Ks in that one, then we're talking about a, a much different guy. Um, he was going deeper into games as well towards the end of the year. So I like the improvements he made as the season went on. We're talking about a kid. Yes, a kid. He's um, 24 years old. He'll be 25 in May. So I, I'm a big fan of what, what he's done improvement-wise when it comes to uh, draft day. He's going to pick 290. Like, you got Kwong Hung Kim. You got Dane Dunning, who I don't mind. Like, Nate Pearson. Jake Goderizzi, who still doesn't sign anywhere. Domingo Herman, who knows if he's even going to pitch. Michael Kopak. I will take my chances on Justice Sheffield. So, this is a guy I, I have in a lot of places. And uh, I will continue to have him in a lot of places that pick 290 in, in drafts. So, that's me. So, we'll go that route. Um, Nicholas Sackick, he asks, and this is your buddy, Validate my Joe Ryan share same way you did with Wilmer Flores last year. <laughs> Honestly, uh, Nick, and I, I apologize for this, but I had to I had to fan graphs Joe Ryan. I'm literally doing that who, right now. I have no just idea. Just to, just to figure out uh, who you were talking about, which which is a uh, is not a criticism of the question because uh, Nick has a 
I think probably a more in-depth knowledge of the player pool than I do. But when I looked, I mean, it's super interesting. Um, you know, so for, for folks who aren't familiar with, uh, Joe Ryan, um, you know, he, the K's per nine is off the charts, uh, you know, 24 and in 13 innings in, in double a in 2019, 112 in 82 in 2019, 47 in 27 in 2019. So in three stops, you know, in, um, in 2019, in about 120 innings, he had close to my math is like close to over 180 strikeouts. So that's, I mean, that's phenomenal. Um, that's great. I haven't heard anything about like, like, you know, uh, what his role with the Rays could be, but he's the type of guy where he was in double a in 2019 and pitched really well there. Then you have 2020 where he's working with the Rays and development squad. So he's double a triple a. So maybe he makes that leap up there. And it looks like he was a starter. And I mean, he was, I mean, he was absolutely dominant. So I'm not a prospect guy, but you know, it seems like he may be onto something there. So I hope that is validation for your Joe Ryan picks. I will undoubtedly draft him in, uh, in my DC that I'm in currently. Yeah. I, I, I saw that too. I, I had to look him up cause I couldn't figure like what he was talking about, but it's just the Rays, and so maybe he gets a start. Maybe he's an opener. Maybe yeah, maybe he's the guy that start like does the one or two when he's to open, because mm-hmm. like he was a starter, like you said in the minors, but still, if you look at total innings wise, how how much is he going to go in the Rays format? That that's the question I have there. So he might get a run this year. I have just never heard him mentioned at all. So I, I have no idea when he'll get used. But it's an interesting if if he's on him, he knows what he's talking about. So it's worth keeping an eye on. That's for sure. Yeah. Todd um, White. Oh yeah. I was just gonna say, uh, you should hop on and read Eric Loggenhagen's, you know, profile on him from 2020. So I'll I'll do that at the end of this show. Uh, Todd Whitestone asks, "Hey Toby, if you have time, can you compare the three or four most important stats and where you got them for you for three starting pitchers going close in ADP? I suggest these guys currently going approximately in the, in the ninth, tenth round: Alcantara, Morton, Montas." So what stats do you use to compare the three basically to help you make your decision? So essentially what I would do, I mean, I think I've shown it a few times on this episode, but what I'd essentially do is I want to establish kind of um, based on like league average, where exactly do they fall in terms of walks and strikeout rates? So like, you know, with the example of Sandy Alcantara, I'll get in there and I'll say, okay, you know, 22.7% K rate, 8.7% walk rate. So he's around league average on both of those metrics. His K-minus walk rate, not surprisingly, is right around league average as well. Swinging strike rate is right around league average. You know, when I look at the first pitch strike zone and O-swing combination, that seems about like a, you know, about league average. So the walk rate seems to check out there. Um, I would check out his CSW as well and his percent of pitches that are balls just to get like a general sense of whether the K and the walk rate were lined up. And then um, I would, um, you know, then based on that, just give a sense of like whether what he did in this previous season was earned. And then like, do I feel like the predictive metrics that are there are, you know, uh, seem like they line up. And then I dive into the pitch mix a little bit, you know, and take a look and, and kind of see what it is. And so with Alcantara, I'd say like, okay, sinker and four seam are all right. You know, they're not necessarily great pitches from a skills perspective. Sliders okay, but then the changeup is a really good pitch. So, you know, 
then I then I take a look at the rolling average graphs just to see like what has been happening to him recently. Like what what does the potential look like for what he might be able to do? There are so many factors though. I mean, like with with the guys that you mentioned, it's like Alcantara. He hasn't really been injured, right? He missed time because of COVID, but he's never really been injured. Whereas with Morton, I have injury concerns, right? And so when I look at age, Morton, age in general and age, right? And I look at I look at his 2020, and I kind of have to be like, do I just toss this out because he was clearly injured and the velo was down, or like what exactly do I do with that? And then the third guy was Frankie Montas, and I do something similar where I just kind of look at K minus walk rate, try to establish like whether that seems legitimate based on the skills. Take a look at the repertoire to look at maybe a little bit of upside. Look at the rolling average graphs to see maybe he was doing something different towards the end of the year that maybe would have benefited him a little bit. Like with Montas, I'd be like, man, that the drop in the splitter usage concerns me a little bit. Was that injury driven? Was that right? So you kind of have the skill components, but there's also this narrative piece where you have to figure out what I'm essentially trying to establish is what has this guy done in the past? You know, was it quote unquote earned or not in my, in my own belief? How does it compare to league average? And then what does that tell me about, you know, where he is compared to league average and what he might be able to do in the future compared to what he has done in the present sort of, I don't know if that explains it really well, but like with, with when I'm looking at those three guys, you know, I think it would probably fall at this point in time between Montas and Alcantara. And I might say, you know, maybe I'm going to lean Montas a little bit because I think the A's are a better team. I think the situation in that stadium is a better team. And I think with Montas, it's pretty clear that he was an effective pitcher in 2019. And so he can get back to that. And I think with Alcantara, you know, he's never done that before to that, maybe quite that extent. Um, And so, you know, I think maybe, you know, maybe I lean Montas there a little bit. So it's not like, it's not all skill-based. It's also like trying to balance like these different pieces, but I mean, I think what you're generally trying to establish is K percentage, walk percentage, um, and then pitch mix and, you know, kind of uh, what he's done before. Um, I don't know. This is probably a really terrible explanation of it, but um, that's what I would kind of do um, with each with each guy to kind of establish where I'm at. And I also look at projections just to get a sense of what they're saying, but I don't rely as much on projections um, with pitchers as I do with hitters. All righty. John Paca asks, DC question, which two to three starting pitchers after ADP 300 will you own the most? Oh, man. Let me take a look at my my player shares. This will be the easiest. How about you, Bubba? What do you, what do you um uh, just scrolling through 300 to 400, I wrote down Davey Garcia, Spencer Turnbull, and Yusei Kikuchi. Those are three guys I already have a lot of shares of in my best ball drafts um, and in FBC 50s. So I like the strikeout upsides, and I love uh, Kikuchi. I really like what he started to do towards the end of last season. So there's something that Seattle water that those guys started figuring things out last year that really concerned me before that they did much better last year. So at their price points, I will take a chance on them this year. Yeah. Honestly, like – Honestly, like my strategy in DCs has been to not really take any pitchers between 300 and 400. Um, And that's because I think you want to get plate appearances. You want to like really, I don't think there's a huge difference between the pitchers that are going between pick 300 and 400 
and the guys who are going afterwards. So guys who are going after there. So TJ Anton is one that I, that I really like, um, you know, who's going around there. I do like Spencer Turnbull has, has kind of grown on me again. I liked him a lot hanging to last year. Wasn't super excited about what he was able to do, um, last year, but then I peeked into his last five starts and it actually was, I think, pretty intriguing. Um, so those are two guys that I've kind of been dabbling, I think a little bit with, um, in that particular, um, range, but I haven't actually targeted a lot of guys in that kind of 300 to 400 range for starting pitchers, because I don't think there's a ton of guys that really differentiate themselves. One guy I've targeted recently with the news that he should be ready for the new season is Miles Mikolas. You know, he's going later and I think he's a really, he's a low whip kind of low ERA type of guy. Um, and, and I think, you know, on the Cardinals, it's a really nice fit. So those are three guys maybe that I'm, that I'm into that are kind of um, between 300 and 400. Cause I think the second part of this question was after 400. Yep. Uh, what are one or two guys outside of 400? One or two is so hard. Um, so, Two guys. So one guy that I love Stephen Brault. Stephen Brault is a guy that I like a lot, um, that I've been moving up on draft boards a lot. I think he really, he was really good. You talk about limiting contact. Um, he was really good at limiting contact. He's got a really nice curveball. He's got a decent, um, sinker. Uh, he played around with his pitch mix. It's a slider. That's really good. Actually, I think not a curveball, but played around with his pick mix towards the end of last year and the skills really improved. And I think, I think he's, I think he's the type of guy again, maybe is maybe slightly less than a strikeout burning, but I think he can be like a three, five to four ERA guy with like a one, two to one, two, five whip, which at that prep, that spot I think is really good. So Brault um, is a guy that I really like um, there um after 400 guys that i'm targeting one guy that I've, I've got a ton of shares of i've got him in every single league so far is brent Suter. he's not necessarily a starting pitcher but when you look at the skills that Suter had last year he was absolutely dominant as like kind of a bolt guy and he could be an after opener type guy on the brewers um you know i mean his swinging strike rate was like 15 percent everything was really really nice for him and so going where he's going i think he's a really nice um guy so those are two guys that i that i have in, on every single one of my teams so far. Yes, Suter and uh, Freddie Peralta, I think, are going to be fantasy viable from that Brewers team for sure. Um, two guys for me, if I had to, it's not a pretty pick, but Danny Duffy, because he out, he doesn't kill you as much as people think he does. Like he, he pitches every fifth day when he's not getting a DUI, and um, he, he strikes out guys. And that's at that point in the draft, I'll take him. And then a guy that you liked a lot last year, which I thought you were going to mention, but. Um, you know, not a big strikeout guy, but an overall good ratio guy, and will be in the rotation is Alec Mills. That's a guy that mm. uh, I've had circled as well. A lot there's question marks with him. I get it, but post 400, I'll, I'll take the chance on him. I thought you were going to go with Vinny V. Vinny V's another guy. Vinny V's oh, there. I, yeah, I love Vinny V. Vinny V's just the drug that keeps sucking me in. Um, he is that guy. Michael Lorenzen's there for SP Streamer. Um, oh, yeah. there, there, there are a handful of guys here that, that are very interesting. Even AJ Puck at this point in the draft, if, if the reports come out that, you know, he could pitch for a bit that it's interesting to pick four thirty one. No, I'm not in love with it, but it's interesting. Um, yeah. And I think what you just mentioned though, is exactly why I'm like, kind of don't bother with the pitchers 300 to 400, because there are some really good arms. 
yeah. with both upside and kind of that seem relatively stable in that 400 plus ADP range. Yeah, there's there's a bunch back here you could kind of fire off if you needed to. So, and a lot of just like late really good bullpen arms that could sneak a few saves in, but at worst get you strikeouts and ratios. Like there's there's some interesting stuff back here. Heck, Dee Sclafani's on the Giants. If he like, you never know what he could do there. That could get real interesting. Um, Tulsa Hop asks all three drafts we've shared. Ah. He's, he's talking to you. All three drafts we've shared so far. You've taken Brett Anderson and Eric Lauer. So what's the deal with Brett Anderson and Eric Lauer? Well, Tulsa, it's simple. They're left-handed pitchers. No, I'm just kidding. What do you got? Yeah, I mean, because they're going to be looked past ADP of, of 600. 600. One. Okay, let me read you. Um, uh, so Brett Anderson last year. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I think the thing is, like, at this point in the draft, number one, I'm looking for just, like, guys that are going to pitch. Right. And number two with Brett Anderson is like, this is not overwhelmingly good by any stretch of the imagination, but for your sixth or seventh or eighth or ninth starter last three seasons, his ERA has been four, four, eight, three, eight, nine, four, two, one whip one, two, eight, one, three, one, one, two, eight. Now the strikeouts aren't necessarily there, but he doesn't walk guys. Doesn't necessarily strike him out either. But as a result, he has a decent whip and he doesn't give up a lot of hard contact, really. Um, and so that's a combination for at least mediocrity, which I don't think necessarily hurts me. Now, that's that's, you know, Brett Anderson um, in particular. And I think, um, you know, towards the end of last year, Brett Anderson was also uh, better, um, I, you know, um, I know we're trying to limit time, but I do think it's worth like this is one of the reasons I think it's important to look at like these five game rolling average trends, which they don't tell us everything in the world necessarily. And you can't put too much stock in them, but they can tell you like they can give you little glimmers like for Brett Anderson. Oh, wow. His end zone contact rate was the lowest of his three year career towards the last, you know, five games of last season at 84.7%. His O swing, you know, was higher than it usually is. His K minus walk rate was at about 10%, which is, you know, slightly higher than it's been. And his swinging strike rate was the highest it's been, uh, you know, in about three years as well. And so something was going on there that he was tinkering with that worked out well. Lauer is just, you know, I was really into Lauer last year. I think Lauer um, has some really good qualities. I think he's got a really nice fastball. He's from the left side. We saw a below uptick at the end of 2019. He was actually, he was awful in terms of like his control last year, but he struck out a good chunk of guys. And so I'm just giving him like a COVID pass and an injury pass. And, you know, according to roster resource there at least, right. And they're not the purveyor of all rotations, but he's their fifth starter. And I think they made a pretty big commitment to him. Like, you know, last year, I think they wanted him to be in the rotation. And this year, I think they're going to want him to be in the rotation as well. And I think he could be a real steal. Um, so that's that's my Brett Anderson and, and Lauer spiel. Hey, post 600, a lot of things can happen. So I don't, I don't hate that at all. Um, Lucas J. Beery, Beery Blocks, good buddy of the show, good buddy of sports DJs. Who are some pitchers you want to buy into but are a little con concerned, can't quite pull the trigger on? Yeah, that's a lot of pitchers. Like every single guy we talk about. That's a lot. Of, that's a lot of. Pitchers. Honestly, like <laughs> honestly, outside of Molly and um, Molly and Smiley, like I have like 
maybe two shares of guys, which we'll get to Jay Collister's, uh, um, uh, you know, question later on about kind of strategy, but, um, there's a lot of guys that I really like, honestly, that I think there's a lot of reasons to like a lot of guys in that kind of like, you know, in that, in that blob between maybe pick 105 through pick 220, there's a lot of reasons to like guys. And there's a lot of reasons to believe that they won't be able to repeat that what they were able to do. And, um, and so, uh, there's just too many to name, honestly, like in that, in that group, there's none that really stand out to me. Like maybe Pablo Lopez stands out because I can't really find a flaw in anything. And yet I'm still not, I still ha- haven't gotten any of him on any of my teams. Like I have our outline right here, just going over the names we talked about. Jesus Lizardo um, yeah. is one that I can't pull the trigger on just yet. Um, we'll go with Tyler Molly for me. I like I agree with everything you say. I just I can't bring myself to do it just yet. Uh, Marco Gonzalez, I know how good he is. Herman Marquez, I think I'm there after today, but that's another one that's just always on the edge for me. Aaron Savali, Tony Gonsolin, um, Jordan Montgomery. So there's 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 about a third of what we just talked about tonight. It's, it's like you can make arguments for all these guys. It's, it's real, real tricky. Yeah. All right. Uh, Ross at the shy bears asks, who do you expect to be bulkers this year coming in after openers? I honestly, I'm going to, you might hate me for this answer, but I'm not going to know until I see what these teams are going to do. Yeah. I really, like, I, I, I might be the lazy answer, but it's January 5th. Like, <laughs> I, it, that's a that's a question that's going to change a million times if I tell you the answer right now. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. I think this is more like a team question than a player question. Yeah. You know, where it's like, look at those rotations that are pretty soft. You know, like we know that the Rays are going to have some sort of formulation of that. Probably, it's probably, especially after giving up Snell, you know, and, ha- and having some questions. So it could be like a Patino, right? For the Padres, it could be like a Morion. You know, like. I think there's a lot of different things where it's looking at rotations and looking where there are places where maybe they have a decent long guy, the brewers like Suter is a great example of like a guy who could throw three or four innings, but maybe isn't like a five to six inning guy. Right. So if the White Sox with Popek, that's a guy they could slow play. I think there's a lot of things. So I would say, look at those rotation spots. And that's why it's so difficult to say is because they could get filled, right? Like the Rays could go out and sign Garrett Richards tomorrow. And then all of a sudden, you know, they don't have as many holes as they had. Right. So, um, you know, there, there's, there's, it's much more like a team focused thing than a player focused thing. I think. Yeah. Uh, Ben Ted asks, who is this year's police sec? Last year I took him literally in the last round of my qualifier. So who's like a late round guy. So not a DC guy. Let's say let's limit it to top 400 pick. Who's a late round guy that you think could turn into an elite pitcher that helps kind of save the day? Um, oh man, I think. Um, I mean, I. I mean, we've already talked about him. I think like. I can't remember where Plesac was going. He was the he was the last pick, so it's a little early for like the 200. So, I mean, I mentioned TJ Anton. I think if he's a starting pitcher, you know, the volume may be a little bit of a challenge, but I could see him being dominant. Um, I, I actually really like what the Tigers. I was about to say Tariq Skubal. Tariq Skubal. So there's another rookie guy. Yeah, um, that was kind of a young guy that could take the step in theory. 
Yeah, I mean, Spencer Turnbull too. I still like him. Yeah, I'm with you there too. Josh Lindblom is another guy I think could be really good. Who was very unlucky last year? I think. I think there's a few guys in there. I mean, Lindblom might be a good, um, a good um, proxy just because he doesn't really walk a lot of guys. Like high O swing, pretty decent swinging strike rate. So I'll go with Lindblom. I'll go with Josh Lindblom. I like that. And then I mentioned them kind of earlier, like Brady Singer, Ben Keller. Those guys in, in Kansas City are interesting to me. Brady Singer especially. Um, needs to get the strikeouts going a little more for my liking. But what I saw with him last year and a lot of his starts, as long as he wasn't walking guys, which you could say about a lot of pitchers, he was very, very good. Very good. So and he got better as the season went on, more comfortable, I'd imagine, pitching in the bigs. And the thing with the Royals and some of these other teams, like the Tigers – they're going to let these young kids pitch. So you don't have to worry about them getting pulled and going back to the minors or anything. I highly doubt it. Like they're going to let these guys earn their stripes and take some bruises out there. And that's kind of in the end for a pitcher, you're taking this late in the draft. If you can get guaranteed innings where, you know, you could sit them for a couple starts if things are rocky, but keep them on your roster knowing he's going to have a job that goes a long ways. So I think, I think the, the Tigers pitchers and the Royals pitchers kind of watch how things break out as we get closer to the season you might find something there. I'm just going to say that. And then I don't want to buy back into him, but he is a Tiger. Matthew Boyd's basically free. Yeah. It's ugly. Like the home runs are ugly, but the strikeouts are still there. If he just finds one little tweak somewhere, we know how good he can be. That's a scary one. But uh, yeah, may the force be with you if you pick that pick. That's, ah. all, I can, that's all I can say. Um, phony front office 99 asks, are you buying into Ian Anderson hard to at his ADP? I can't I can't at his price tag. And that's kind of what we said last week when it comes to Ian Anderson because he's getting picked with uh, the big boys up top. And that's just that's that, that's something I can't do. I'm, I'm trying to find him right here. Yeah, he's yeah. going I, I like Zach Wheeler. I like Dylan Bundy right after him. Um, it, it's a tough spot for Ian Anderson. Uh, what about you? Yeah, I wouldn't take him in the top 200. Ooh, it's bold. Not even top one, 150, top 200, folks. No. I mean, I think the control is awful. And I think he's going to get, I think he's going to get destroyed. Yeah. When, he's going to be one of those guys that when it's good, it's going to be good. But when it's bad, it's going to be really bad. Yeah. And you can't have a mulligan start there. You need multiple mulligans. You're going to get one mulligan around, folks. So just remember that. Yeah. Yep. Um, our buddy MS at SMMS79 asks based on value ADP research, who do you envision you will have the most shares of on your team come first pitch? Which pitcher do you think you'll have the most shares of? And for fun, let's not make it one of the big threes or something that you'll take early. Um, based on early ADP. Um, this is a tough one because I think that People are super smart now. The value uh-huh. just disappears, it's right? It's so it's like you like a guy, I'm like, oh, Ryan Yarbrough, a pick 250 is awesome. And now I'm like, I just drafted Ryan Yarbrough, a pick 220, you know? Like, so it's really hard to know. So it's got to be a back end guy. So I would say, and so much of it depends on spring training. Um, Eric Lauer. Is what I'm going to say. I'm going to say, we'll have most shares of Eric Lauer. 
Okay, I'm going to cheat and give a couple names here. But if I'm staying like in the 200, like in a regular draft format, not a deep league, two guys that I find myself targeting a lot if I don't get jumped on them just because I think where they're getting drafted, they could produce higher is Michael Pineda at 221 and Nate Eovaldi at 233. And I'm really mm. angry of all the Nate Eovaldi tweets these days because I had him last year in multiple leagues and I loved him. Now everyone's catching on. It's annoying me because yeah, I'm one that, of those that, people. That, I'm that, sorry. That, that, no, you're, it, everyone. It, hey, it's good people find the good pitchers finally, but his he was going as low as 262, now as high as 204. That's going to keep climbing. So I'm going to start losing out on Eovaldi. So what I have of him now might be about all I get of him. But you mentioned it with Lauer and company. A guy that I have taken a lot in my deeper drafts is Freddie Peralta. I'm a big fan of what he's doing in Milwaukee. So I think I'll be sniping a lot of him either because he's going to get bulk relieving roles like we talked about with Ross or he's going to find his way in the rotation because he makes a pitch mix change and really dominates. Because when he's on, he's filthy. So Freddie Peralta is the guy for me. And um, one guy we haven't talked about at all is John Means. I know we talked about him yeah, extensively. A couple weeks ago, yeah. Um, but, yeah, John Means. I really like him. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Phony Front Office 99 also asks, um, he's been asking about Eduardo Rodriguez. Any thoughts on him this year? And I was a big Erod guy going into last season. Obviously, he got COVID, had heart issues with it. Um, he's healthy now. He's like tweet stuff and video stuff that he feels good. Like he's like, knock on wood, things are great. And so that that's good. I don't know. It's tough for me to, to, to jump back in on Erod. I guess if we keep seeing good things, I'll look at it. But a young arm like him, I'd imagine they still just let him loose because they don't have many options in Boston. Like that's about it. But it's really it's tough to tough to justify for me. So I'm kind of a wait and see mode with him, which stinks because I know when he's on, he's very good. Totally. Yeah, I think you're spot on. It's like I'm not drafting him anywhere right now because I just want to see spring training and see where he's at and what he's doing. Yeah, because because feeling good now. We've seen. I don't want to make this a COVID podcast, but we've seen people that feel good, but then when they try to athletically stretch themselves out, not all can do it the way they thought they used to. And so I'm really curious to see how that development continues with Erod. Um, Jake Hollisker, Hollisker, sorry, the dust mite asks any particular ADP ranges that you are finding yourself to be mostly out on starting pitchers, Toby. Yeah. Um, I generally have three starting pitchers by pick 105. And I don't draft any starting pitchers until like depends on between like, I think the earliest I've drafted my SP four is like 165. So that kind of middling range, um, depending on the team though, I'll, I'll wait anywhere from pick 165 to 220 um, to pick up my SP four. So it just depends on, what my needs are, what the player pool available are, which starting pitchers are available. Like it just really depends on the roster construction, rotation construction, and um, you know, kind of what, what the board is looking like. Yeah. I was looking through the ADPs and I don't have like a specific range. I'm not taking guys in. I'm just not as ambitious, I guess, after like pick 100, I'm kind of like you, I have, I usually have three guys within the first five rounds, three starting pitchers that I like which makes me feel comfortable to kind of wait until like if a certain guy I like that we've talked about tonight, he falls to where I, I'm like, okay, I'll take him. But 
but I'm not reaching like I might have been reaching in the first 100 picks to make sure I get three guys I like. Um, but I'm also not making a point to wait either. So it's kind of a it's kind of a cop out. Like I'm not specifically having a, a spot like you where you're you know you're taking bats. I'll kind of fluctuate back and forth because I think there's certain hitting positions that are so deep that I can make things just wait on. But uh, and I'd rather have some pitching because as you could find out from listening to this episode, if you just go deeper in the player pool, the pitching pool can be deep according to some, but it is a rough, rough grind. The blobs are very rough, so um, it makes things makes things tricky. So I kind of have my guys, and I want to get my guys. And if they're good this year, I'm gonna have a very good year. Otherwise, see what happens. Well, and what's going to be interesting too is that it's going to change because right now I'm not drafting any relief pitchers before pick 200, pretty much. Like maybe 185, 185, you know. Um, and and I don't think that's a sustainable strategy, probably. So as we get closer to the real drafts, you know, those guys will push up, and something's got to move, whether it's hitters or the starting pitchers that are that are going in that range right now. Kind of based on where that kind of shuffles out and what my strategy ends up being there, it'll change. But right now, that's kind of my approach in, in the DCs is to embrace the uncertainty of all these closer and uh, these ambiguous closer roles. Yeah, the closer roles are weird because if like if you just wait and want to roll the dice, there are so many closers going like two seventy five later, like so many. Mm-hmm. And are you gonna say, you know what? I'm like I'm gonna plant my flag and hope these guys get it. That's just where it's gonna go. Um, hold steady slash stay positive asks while roster construction would probably play a part, rank these four pitchers in order of preference, your boy, TJ Anton, Spencer Turnbull, Domingo Herman, and Freddie Peralta. Man, these are, I didn't even know these were the guys we were talking about tonight. So, um, yeah. How would you rank those four guys in your preference? Turnbull, Anton, Peralta, Herman. Yeah, I go Turnbull, Peralta, Anton, Herman, but I have nothing against TJ Anton. I really like what I saw. I have a hunch, like you like him a lot, and there's some other guys that are pretty sharp that like him. I have a feeling his price is going to climb if there's any slight bit of news that he has. It's going to get real interesting there. So get your shares now before that changes as well. That's going to be fun. Um, the next question we have is we've got about five more to go. Everybody, Dave Petraziello asked, Justice Sheffield seems to be a big topic. Bubba likes him a lot, and if you remember, I was on him last year. My problem is the swinging strikes aren't there. Can there be more of them somehow? Yeah, we kind of hit on this. The swinging strike sucks. Toby pointed that out, and it's very valid. I think there's more there. It's just he has to continue to develop the pitcher that he slowly became towards the end. If that development continues, which I think it will, and it seems like Dave thinks it will, I think the swinging strikes will obviously be there. That's kind of where I stand, but uh, it's it, it, it's I get it if you don't want to go to him. I get it. All right. Um, Richard Sands asks, in a draft champions where so many people are already drafting teams, how do you like to build your starting pitching? How many starters do you want? And, um, and since you can only start nine at most at a time, but probably much less if you want saves, how valuable are guys after pick 400? So this is for you, Toby. Um, so it depends where I am and what the pitchers are, but I generally have two. well, just, just, it just depends. Um, it depends on which aces I'm able to get. Um, and it'll depend on ADP, but I generally want to have three starting pitchers by pick like 105 ish, which isn't necessarily specific to pick 105, but I think like kind of the Bundy Granky 
place is the last place that I want to get my SP3 from. And then I've generally got like two aces. So it's like, um, yeah, I've generally got two guys that I would consider aces. So, um, yeah. And then, um, and then, and then I'll, I oftentimes will all have those three and then I'll draft hitters for the next 10 rounds and then start taking starting pitchers and, you know, like around pick 220 or 200 or something like that. Uh, Daniel Prepas asks Ian Anderson's ADP regular crazy or bat flip crazy. I mean, bat flip crazy means you're awesome, right? That's what I thought. So mm-hmm. I think it's just regular crazy. I call it bat shit crazy. I'm just uh, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, and then he also asked, it's interesting to see how right about where he goes with Bundy is where the ranges start to expand. I'm guessing you think those two are uh, inflated versus others. Right below them, Gossman, Lazardo, Paddock, but would love to hear you guys discuss those values around pick uh, 31 and 35. We did that for you, Daniel, so you're good to go in that respect. Mm-hmm. Um, last question we have here from Jay Tazawa. What's the deal on Montas? We hit on this earlier. So do we give him a 2020 mulligan, assuming injured? Those 96 inning pitch in 2019 sure look like an outlier. I'm giving him the mulligan. Toby's getting more interested, but not fully there yet, right? Bubba's giving him the mulligan. I'm mulling it over. All right? (laughs) Boom. Boom. Can we end on that, Bubba? We are. That's the last question. That was like, I mean, we're one hour and 48 minutes into this podcast, and we're still dropping bombs like that. I mean, that that was... That was hot. That was professional. That was well that done. Was, that was professional. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yes, that was well done. Uh, I, I almost just want to like cl- close the thing down after that, but um, we will. Shut we will. Say, yeah, we will. Last say our episode of the podcast, people. I hope you enjoyed that. <laughs> First we're going, episode we're going of twenty twenty one. There you go. Um, so, final thoughts. SP is uh, quite a position, like usual, but it's it's. We know we know what's going early in drafts. We know it feels pretty top heavy, and then it gets real murky. Anything you're doing differently this year? Um, yeah, I mean, I think I think I'm much more focused towards the top half. You know, I think I want to get three really good pitchers, and I know um, our buddy Rob Silver like tweeted out like it seems like everybody wants to get three starting pitchers in the first five rounds or, or, or whatever it is, but you know, it kind of is impossible if everybody is literally drafting three, like there's a value question there. And I really think it, I mean, it's gotta be very top heavy, right? You gotta get, for me, I want to get two of the arms that I really believe in. And then I want to get a third that I think that I feel pretty comfortable with. Um, and then I kind of just want to take a break until I can go after some of my guys who are, going later on in drafts because I don't think there's a huge difference between the guys going at pick 110 and the guys who are going um, at pick, you know, 200. Um, And at the same time, because I've invested so much capital early on in starting pitching, I want to make sure that I'm building that depth and hitting and, um, you know, the usual stuff that I, that I talk about, I won't go into depth about that again. So I think it's a fairly similar strategy. I think I'm not as wedded to the pocket aces, if you will. Um, as I, as I was maybe last year, but that may change given like, you know, the dynamics of where different starting pitchers are going to be. And as I dive in a little bit more, you know, I've been doing a lot of DCs, but 
I really need to kind of press pause and dive into the forecaster a little bit more in more depth and kind of answer some of these questions with a real rigorous um, research. So before, before March comes around. Um, so that's kind of the way I'm, I'm approaching it. And, and I do think that there's a lot of really interesting guys that can kind of come out of nowhere in those really late picks. So. Yeah. I can't remember if it was you or Bloomfield or one of the other great minds out there. I think the full house approach is essentially the three in the first five is very popular and for good reasons. Like we're all trying it for good reasons. It's but like you said, it's going to, not everybody can. So I saw Justin Mason doing a draft the other day where I think he took one in the first five. I think one of my best balls are in a BC fifties coming up. I might try that approach and see. Uh, how I'm, I'm in that same draft as Justin is. Okay. There you go. Yeah. And, and it, it's an interesting start he has. I'm really curious to see how the pitching comes together. Cause that's, that's just my biggest concern. It's not that I don't know the player pool. I, I'm very confident and I know the player to pool. I just know the player pool and that part of the pool is very <laughs> not fun. <laughs> it's, it's very inconsistent. Like you might hit a couple of good ones, but you might have, there's a lot of landmines out there too compared and not, not that the guys can't get hurt or whatever in the top, but you know what I'm trying to say? It's, mm-hmm. it, it's definitely not the same situation where I can go get like my fourth outfielder somewhere instead of like my sixth pitcher and feel a lot better about life. <laughs> so that that's where it's tricky right now. But uh, with that being said, we'll wrap up our starting pitching preview part two. Be back with you guys next week. I believe doing relief pitchers, or maybe we'll do something different because relief pitchers is such a disaster right now. Like there really yeah, is. Yeah, maybe we should. We should just do like a, a mailbag. I mean, we've yeah, got. I'm all about the mailbag. You guys come, come with questions. I'm all about because I was thinking about relief pitchers, but there's so many unsigned. There's so many like literally they could throw the podcast out the window like a month later probably because it would mean nothing. At all. It doesn't make any sense. So I'm I'm good with with you know putting relief pitchers on hold till later. And maybe we'll go mailbag next week. So you guys are on call now. You'll get the tweet like usual next Tuesday. But mailbag next week. All of your fantasy questions. Hey, if you got bark questions, candy questions, whatever you got, ice cream sandwich questions, bring Dude, them. We do, we do desserts in addition to fantasy baseball. Yeah, whatever you got. Don't whatever forget. you got. But uh, check out Toby on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy. I am at Bediantric. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bubba and the BatFlip, episode 65. Catch you guys next week. That is going to wrap us up for episode 161 of the BatFlip Crazy podcast. Thank you so much. Who submitted questions so much um, for sending of the podcast uh, will be a mailbag. So we will be taking questions on all uh, all your different fantasy baseball related questions. Um, send them in. Um, should be a lot of fun. Um, yeah. Thank you so much again for listening. Best of luck with all of your fantasy baseball research, your fantasy baseball drafts. If you already started them, take care and be kind to one another.